gender reveal. Uh, they're kind of just big in our culture for the last few years. I just think it's curious that um, those videos, those types of gender reveals are so trending and so popular at the same time that our, our, culture, our culture is having this conversation about whether gender is actually a thing. Isn't that curious? The gender reveal, we celebrate, we're so excited to find out if it's a boy or if it's a girl. And yet, in the midst of that, our culture is in this ever-changing um, and rapidly evolving conversation about whether gender is actually a thing at all, right? Um, and so we want to dive right into that, not because we um, enjoy controversy or enjoy, like, no, really just because, A, we believe that um, it's only God's word that's going to bring clarity and hope and um, direction going forward. And, and B, uh, we want, um, we believe that um, A, our God's people should be informed about what God's word says regarding gender, regarding sexuality, how we should respond. Uh, but then more than that, we believe that, that God's word actually provides the way forward for our world, not just for Christians and how we should respond and what we should do, but, but really, as we'll look at today, that, that Christianity and God's um, path and the way that he's laid things out is actually good for the world, and, um, and there's a way that we can approach all of this confusion, and we're going to let God's word have some bearing on that. So that's what we're doing um, in this series called Gender Revealed. We'll be in it for a few weeks, um, and we will get into lots of different things um, in that time. We're really going to take a look at what, what is God's good design. Um, man, this, this, this issue is so nuanced and so um, broad, um, the issue of gender and sexuality has um, really it's been pushed to the forefront in really unique ways lately, right? I mean, there's legislation um, presently, um, you know, moving through, um, you know, lawmakers and all of those things about how this issue is handled and how pronouns and all and bathrooms and all of those things are actively going on in, in the legislation part of our of our country as we speak and really around the world. Um, and so that's all happening in an issue of sports and interaction and all those things are going on very rapidly in, in real time in this moment. But really, the issue of gender and sexuality has been um, one that has been debated and wrestled through and struggled with for you know, most of history and even most of our history. The, uh, the, the things that we're going to hit on, we're not going to try to touch on every nuance, every law, every issue, every question, every ism and, um, you know, identifier and all of those things. It would just be far too much. I'm not qualified to uh, unpack and dive into all of those things. It would be far too much for us to handle. So um, instead what we're going to do is look um, really at what God's design is um, and the, the goodness of that. And let that bear its weight on us and really inform us of, A, how we should view people who are struggling with these issues, and B, how we should train our kids and how we should respond and what, and then, and then see what, how we should react to the culture and what role do we have and really what, what God's design is. And so that's our hope with this series is to really provide a framework for God's goodness and design for gender, that it's not accidental, that, that there actually is intentionality and there is beauty in that, uh, but really... Uh, not to circle the wagons, right? Because you kind of have this question of the, of the church of, of, you know, what do we do in this moment, right? What do we, what do, we do? Do we, we kind of dig in our heels and fight this culture war, which we historically have really not done well um, throughout church, you know, church history? Or, or do we just kind of... And really, the, the, question, the, the two options that our culture tends to put before us is either alienation, right? And so we're either going to be the people that are against every... Um, you know, person struggling with any kind of sexuality issues and homosexuality and transgender and 
all of those things. We're going to be alienating them and saying that they, it's they and they're on this outside and all of these things. Or we have to affirm it, right? So it's either alienation or affirmation seems to be what our culture demands of us, that we have to pick one of those stanzas, right? That it's either alienation or affirmation, and then we have to choose who, which side are we on. Well, what I, what I believe and what I hope to lay before you in this series is there's actually a third way. There's actually a way in which we can engage um, the culture and its people with the grace of Jesus Christ and at the same time the truth of Jesus Christ as the Word of God. That Jesus comes and, and bears his weight on the world. And John 1, 14 says that he comes full of grace and truth. And I believe that we can actually embody both of those things, but it will not be easy and it will not be accidental. We have to be informed. We have to know what God's word says, why we believe what we believe, and why it is good for the culture. Not just an issue of debate, not just an issue of legislation, but a gospel issue and how we engage the world. So we're going to look at biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. Uh, we're going to look at how those things complement each other as, as we join together in the world, not just in marriage, but also just in general, how we image God's um, design and his beauty as male and female and what that looks like, and then how we respond. The last week or two, we're going to um, respond. We're going to look at, you know, what is our response? How do we engage the world? So today's Time is going to be a bit of an overview and a setup of, of what we hope to accomplish um, in our time together and really uh, introducing God's good design. And then when the next few weeks, we'll look at biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, and then some of the brokenness and redemption issues. And if you have our app, you can find the outline of the sermons um, on the new series uh, update there and know what's coming when. But that, that's kind of our plan, all right? So as we dig into this, man, it is... Uh, in case you are living under a rock or not following something. And man, I just can't, like, I could not exhaustively gather information on this because I got exhausted real quick. Like, there is so much happening, so many hot-button issues, so many debates, and so, and so rapidly changing these issues uh, before us concerning gender and sexuality. Um, I heard somebody this morning, just as they, they kind of remembered that we're starting this today, say, oh yeah, did you hear that somewhere uh, there was, a, there, you know, parents talking about their five-year-old was deciding what they were, right? Whether they were male or female. And we have parents really pretty commonly now not identifying their children as one or the other, right? Not, not choos you know, choosing not to dress their baby boys in blue and their baby girls in, in pink and, and putting those gender-specific toys in front of them and really uh, allowing them to kind of come up and choose these things, right? You've heard about these things um, in our culture. You've heard about pronouns being legislated um, in Canada and now even moving into our legislation about what we do, what we have to say, and, and how, how we work all that out and um, and th that, that's an issue that is regularly coming before our lawmakers. Um, Facebook at one time, just a couple years ago, had like something like 50, saw like 56 at one point and maybe 71 at another, different identifiers that you could select for your gender as you're setting up your profile. Upwards of 50 different identifiers. So it's male, female, sci-male, sci-female, transgender, all of, like, all of these different options all the way down, over 50. And at this point, I checked this morning, at this point, what it looks like is they just put male, female, and then custom. You can just write it in. Because the, the, even they can't keep up with the, the, the ever-changing uh, options that are before you. So it's just, it's just male, female, and then custom. You can just write in what you identify as. We have uh, males and females identifying as the other. 
um, and then therefore being permitted to go into the, the restroom that they identify as. Even if they're biologically a male, they're uh, being permitted to go and use the restroom of uh, females uh, in schools and stores. I mean, you guys know all this stuff. And then it flows over into sports, right? So now we have young men, young women I, that I are identifying, young men that are identifying as women. And because such, they are being allowed to participate in female sports, right? It's just quick, man, Google searches. You can find all kinds of stuff on this. But I, I know there's some, you know, young men, biological men participating in um, girls' track. And guess what? They're winning a lot. Not that surprising, right? There's, um, and not because, we're going to talk about this, not because men are better than women, but because there's some differences, right? Physical differences that we shouldn't deny. Instead, we should embrace and learn to work through that. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we saw this in MMA, um, hugely popular sport nowadays. Um, we saw a, a biological male named, uh, that went through the transition to become a, a female and took all the hormones and all those things named Fallon Fox that was then allowed to fight in an MMA fight against a woman. And it quickly was revealed that that was a bad idea as the woman that she was fighting not only lost badly, but her skull was cracked, like shattered. And she said afterward, I've never felt so overpowered by any other fighter. And this is a woman who is of incredible physical stature, right? She's an MMA fighter. Like, she herself could whip my butt, I'm sure, right? Uh, She's no joke. And she said, I've never felt so overpowered by anybody, and, and you have to wonder, like, you, you have to acknowledge these things. Again, we, we begin to get into the world of irrational conversations whenever we start to try to justify and deny these differences that are clearly laid before us in male and female design. And so there's, man, there's, there's confusion at best in our world today. And if you think about not only is it what it's like for you to hear it and wrestle through it and know what our world is shifting to, but I want you to think about What's going on in our children's minds? Like, how is this shaping them? No matter what you say at home, and, and I hope that you say a lot at home, right? I hope that, uh, that you're shaping them in, in intentionally and walking them through things. But no matter what, like, you know, what's going to happen when schools have to, you know, incorporate these things into curriculum and all of these things, and um, really just in the world and the things they're watching, and it, it's going to shape them. Our genera- like, our culture is rapidly changing, rapidly changing. And it's foolish for us to try to ignore it, write it off as extremism and whatever. Like, this is a reality that we have to know how to deal with as Christians. And and really, I believe, as I said, God's word has good hope and good wisdom for us, but we have to be intentional to seek it out. So, as we get into the sermon uh, and the text today in Genesis 1, I want to invite you, if you haven't yet, to download our app. On our app, we're going to be updating resources that we, again, we cannot cover all of the nuanced issues in here. We will later in the series provide some opportunities for you guys to ask questions, and we'll answer those questions throughout the week uh, via some videos. But really, we're going to try to, if you go to your app and you go to This Weekend, um, every week we put you know on there, you can click directly and go to the scripture. Um, you can make notes right there, and then we'll put some recommended resources. We do that every week for each sermon, uh, but I really would encourage you uh, during this series to follow that. We're going to put out you know recommended books and articles, videos, things that will help you to continue to learn and uh, facilitate conversations in your home and with your children. So I would encourage you to do that on your app. Um, If you haven't downloaded the app, it's simply text JOURNEYSI to 77977, and you'll get a prompt to follow it. 
uh, and download the Journey SI app. But if you go to this weekend and pull up the, the notes there, those um, resources that are recommended, we encourage you to take a look at those um, and use them to further conversations in your home and further your own study of these issues and inform us as we go forward here as a church. So uh, the need, uh, I think, is, is really clear. Again, we could go on and on with stories and stats and other things of confusion, but I think that it's pretty obvious that we need God's help. We need to be informed. We need to know how we navigate this. And so, again, I, I think you know, what the culture puts before us is either alienation of people struggling with sexuality issues or affirmation. And we don't seem to uh, know of anything really in the middle, but I would present to you that, that the Bible actually does provide us a, a third way, a way to approach these issues that, that does bring um, a gospel witness forward that doesn't just mean we, we draw lines in the sand and circle our wagons and, and lob grenades over into the culture about how they're wrong and we're right and these types of things, but a way that we can actually embody Christ's love, his grace, and his truth around these issues. Um, and that informs how we engage politically, but most of all, how we engage personally with people. So um, what, what I believe actually that way is, is, is showing people that God's design is male and female. We'll see that in the scripture in just a second. But it's actually good for the world. It's actually for our good. So let's, let's look at Genesis 1, um, chapter 26, and, and let's just, um, actually, let's start here. Let's, let's start with, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis uh, in his book called Mere Christianity. He starts talking about morality, and he uses this illustration of a, of a schoolboy who was asked to describe uh, God. I think it'll be on the screen in just a second. He says, there's a story about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. And he replied that as far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. I'm afraid that that sort of idea, C.S. Lewis says, that the word, that sort of idea that the word morality raises in a good many people's mind something that interferes, something that stops you from having a good time. In reality, moral rules are directions for the running, for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. That is why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural inclinations. When you're being taught how to use any machine, the instructor, the instructor keeps on saying, no, don't do it like that. Because, of course, there are all sorts of things that look all right and seem to you the natural way of treating the machine, but do not really work. So I think that helps us frame up exactly what God is doing here in his design and why it's good for us. Right? Uh, Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to what? Does anybody know? Death. It goes badly for us. And so, so much of this conversation around gender is, is about what feels right and what, what and really, if, if you're into f philosophy and kind of study, like really what this is rooted in is some Gnosticism, meaning that, that there's this idea of what's inside of me, right, it is more true, more real, and transcends physical uh, reality to, to become what is really the truth that defines reality. And so physicality doesn't, doesn't matter as much. And that is applied to like how we approach our earth and, and what's happening when we die and all of those things. But it's also very much applied to this issue of physicality and gender and those types of things, meaning what I feel inside of me is the most true thing about me. And so my body and my physical biological makeup doesn't matter that much. 
It's more about what I, what I feel and how I identify and therefore should be able to move within and out of physical constructs because what's really true is the inward being. The Bible says, no, no, no. Like, yes, your soul and what you feel and, and your identity, that matters. But it doesn't matter like separately from your physical body. Like they are one and the same. You're made in God's image, as we'll see, male and female. Like there's goodness to, to all of that. But... Again, this is what's driving most of this conversation. And, and so, so oftentimes um, what we see is that uh, people want to take issue with Christians speaking out about you know, marriage between a man and a woman being God's design or you know, transgender issues, homosexual, all of those things. And they say, well, listen, you're, you're dis- we call, we, it's called discrimination. And um, Ravi Zacharias was approached by a woman um, that said, um, I, I don't understand. And listen, I've seen this much more when I lived in St. Louis. As I talked to people about Christianity, their, their issue very often was, like, I just don't, like, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And if we said, if I said um, that, well, we believe that, that that's a sin, uh, that God's design for, for marriage is between a man and a woman, um, then they would say, well, I, that just, that doesn't, I have an issue with that. Because how can you deny someone, you know, who they are, how can you deny them love? And, and, all, and so these questions come up, and they're very legitimate questions, but they're really rooted in this idea of, man, why, why is God picking this issue and not that issue and saying, okay, this, you can't do this? And really that's, man, there's so many things we could unpack in that, and we can get into that, and we will as we, as we go on and later in the series. But the big idea is that God has permission to define what works best in our world because he's the creator. Right? He's the one that made this human machine. And so as the creator and the maker of all this, he gets to put parameters on how it functions best. And it doesn't matter that we think something seems right or is going to be good for us. Proverbs verse says, yeah, you may think that, but in the end it leads to death. And so when God puts parameters on us, we all feel that. And oftentimes we want to separate this issue of sexuality and say, well, that's them and that's this, you know, heathen Sodom and Gomorrah. We want to put out that story and say, well, that's a separate issue. And and we separate it from really what the rest of us struggle with. When in reality, I think, like, it's much more appropriate for us to all feel the fact that we're all broken and that we're all in need of a Savior. And we'll get in, we'll, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, but, but really that's the, the big idea, that, that, that God has made things to be good, but it is our sin and our desires that have subjected the creation to issues and futility, and that's why people don't feel at home in their bodies and all that stuff. So we're going to get into that, uh, but let's look at Genesis chapter 1, and really this is God creating things in the beginning, um, and I, I just want to really, the big idea today is that we feel from God's word that he did indeed make us male and female. In his image, he created us male and female. I want you to listen to that for that text, or that in the text. I want us to feel the weight of that. It's really going to be the big idea behind today, which really set up the rest of the series. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, see how it's good for uh, human flourishing. But then um, we'll really talk about what is, it, what is our response, what, what does it look like to you know, kind of frame up our response to these issues uh, as we go forward in the rest of the series, and that'll be our time today. So a bit of a different, a much heavier intro, uh, and then we're going to look at God's Word, let that frame up the rest of the series, and then we'll have a bit of a response at the end here, but that's kind of where we're headed. So Genesis 1, verse 26, the Bible says this, 
Then God said, this is the beginning, God creating everything. He's just went through creating the, the heavens, the earth, the animals, everything in it, and it gets to this. This is kind of the climax of the story. That's what comes up before the, the then. But then God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed in the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food into every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, everything I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was what? Very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So what we see here is that gender from the very beginning, this is, this is right out of the gate, gender is a part of God's design. Male, he made us in his image. So listen, first, first thing we have to notice, and we can't unpack all of this because it would just take too long. First thing we have to notice, though, is that we are made for a purpose, right? To bear God's image. He makes all this other stuff, and then he puts us down as image bearers to rule over all this stuff. That's what's behind uh, the, the, the command not to make any other graven images of God, right? Why is that? Why are we not supposed to make any graven images or any you know, projected images of God? Well, because God's already done that. Right? That's us. Like, we are the images of God bearing his name here on the earth. Like, he put us here to rule over everything. So there's an intentionality and a purpose to him making them male and female. He made them. So point one is that God designed gender. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's the, that's the point one, is that gender is not accidental. It's not fluid. It's not an issue of, you know, uh, move in and out of that. Like, no, no, no. It is by God's good design that he created them, male and female. You hear him say, be fruitful and multiply. So he makes us his image bearers, and he tells us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So we are to, you know, reproduce, and that happens through a natural order of things, right? That, that God designed our bodies intentionally to work together to reproduce um, on purpose, right? That there's, there's, there's beauty in that. Now listen, here's, the, here's, here's what happens. And again, this issue of gender and sexuality has, has been, uh, you know, from feminism to homosexuality, like all the, like there's been so much movement that has brought us back to this issue of God creating them man and woman. And there's so much confusion that happens Really what's in our forefront right now is the issue of transgenderism and all those things. But even if you roll it back to the issue of uh, the feminist movement, which had a lot of really good things about it that, that needed changes in our culture where women would be honored and valued and given opportunities the way that men were. Like those, those are really, really good things that happened. But, but some, some overcorrection happened where there's some, there's some confusion now and some resistance in saying, oh, well, okay, you know, that must mean that you know, um, for, for, for years it, it's... People think that the Bible, you know, gives more weight and more value to men, and then women seem secondary and of second rate and all of those things. In reality, 
you, you need to hear this story well, that male and female both are made in the image of God. It's not that male is made in the image of God and then, oh yeah, I'm going to tag on Eve here and she'll kind of do what she can. No, 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 there's, there's strength to both of this. And in reality, the Bible and Christianity is one of the only, actually I think it is the only ancient literature and book of faith that gives an acknowledgement, gives an accord of the creation of women. Right? And, and how that was intentional and not secondary. And, and how, the, like, really the Bible is pro woman and exalts them. And yes, there's some twisted stuff that happens in the Bible about uh, regarding women and they're treated badly. But those are, those are narrative stories, not prescriptive stories. Not saying that's what we should do, saying that's what was done. And you see God rewriting those stories and, and bringing healing and, and, and moving into a healthier direction until we have the gospel stories where Jesus is, is hanging out with women and elevating them to a place of following them. They're some of the, they are the first ones to see him and have eyewitnesses at the tomb. They're follow, and then we see the New Testament begin to move into a healthier place. And again, there's lots of nuances to work out with all that. But what we see is that male and female, he created them. And that is not, um, the, the, the kind of the big idea of today is equal, yes, but different, yes. That God's design is that we were created male and female on purpose and that while we are equal and both image bearers in God's eyes and in God's design, there are some differences. Not greater than, less than differences, but differences nonetheless, right? Differences that are not to be diminished or uh, leveraged for one or the other's you know, abuse, but differences that are to be acknowledged, embraced, and celebrated, right? Like it or not, gender is biologically determined, chromosomally determined, right? I, I, I know that there's some issues of people born in, being born intersex, and those are certainly some outlier issues that we need to treat those people with, with careful compassion and consideration, but that, that doesn't define the whole conversation here. What we're talking about is people saying, I identify as a woman, therefore I'm going to be treated as and, move and become a woman. In reality, I, I don't think you ever become one of the, like you are made as a man, made as a woman, chromosomally, biologically, and that, that is what you are. Now you can become, you can move in and out of those things and become a, a, you know, a masculinized woman or a feminized man by taking hormones and having surgeries and those things. But, but fundamentally, those things are already there. And, and listen, there are differences. We know that, right? Men are you know, genetically, biologically bigger, physically, on average, right? Our shoulders are broader. Our hands are bigger. Like we're, we are genetically different, not just, and, and listen, we're going to talk about what makes, really, we're going to set this up today, equal but different, we're going to get into the next few weeks, what makes a man a man, what makes a woman a woman, and, I, and I, just spoiler alert, it's far more than genitalia, right, it is not just about having uh, male parts or having female parts that makes, that, that, that says, okay, well, that's a man or that's a woman, like, there, there's so much more to God's design of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood that extends... <clears throat> beyond just our genitalia, but there is something very um, sacred about how we're, how we're made as male or female. I started to say this earlier, I don't think I finished the thought, but Ravi Zacharias was confronted by someone saying, well, how is it that Christians are, um, speak out against racism, right, and defend people that are being discriminated against because of their race, but yet they, they themselves speak out against homosexuality, and gender issues. 
It seems like discrimination. And to this person asking this question, it seems like, well, how can you do this? But then on this issue, you're saying these people can't live the way that they feel compelled to live. And he answered really beautifully, I think, by saying, listen, it's interesting that you ask, that you identify the first issue of race as sacred and God-given, but you identify the issue of gender and sexuality as something more individualistic and a choice, right? He, he says, the reason we approach one this way and the other this way is we believe they're both sacred. We believe that gender, like race, like what color your skin is, like what race you is sacred. It's God-given. You don't get a choice, right? You're not, you're not picking and choosing whether you come out with black skin, olive skin, you know, dark skin, light skin. Like, no, you're just born, and, and that's, that's the life that you have to live. And same would be true about gender, that there are biological differences. And though there may be confusion, there may be issues and wrestles that go on in there, it doesn't change the ontological truth that our physicality matters and we are made male and female for his glory and for our good. It is, it is good for the earth when men are men and women are women. It is by God's design that we have the traits that we have, that we have the bodies that we have, that we have the emotions that we have, the, um, all of those things. Like that is intentional by God's design and we shouldn't apologize for it. We need to learn to embrace it, identify it, and celebrate it. And it is not that, that, you know, your imaging of God doesn't start once you get married. Like, that is not the point of this series to talk about how, you know, as men and women join together, now we become fully the image of God. No, no, male, you know, single male fully bearing the image of God in their life, single female fully bearing the image of God, and whether they ever get married or not, like, you are no less an image bearer of God once you get, like, there's some beauty that happens as we work together, both in, in personal ways in marriage. There's some great design in that. We'll talk about that later in the series. And there's also beauty in the way that the uh, men and women in the world complement each other in the gifts and um, things and traits that we bring to bear on the world. And so there's, there's complementary things, both personally in a home and in a marriage, but, but just corporately as we live together in the world. When, when men are men and, and women are women, as God prescribes them to be, flourishing happens. Good things happen. We'll talk about this, especially when, when we talk about the, the effects of masculinity in the next few weeks. But the big idea for today is that God made us male and female. He created us by design, on purpose. Now, when it comes to the issue of what about people who feel as though they, they are in the wrong body, people who feel as though they are indeed a woman but are in a man's body or vice versa? What do we say to those people? What do we say to those issues? What do we say to, to a person who, who says, I, I can't help it, I'm attracted to the same sex? It's just, just how I am. What, what do we say in those moments? What I would say, in, in short, is the big idea is that, again, we have to remember that it, that's not the only issue in which our desire and our wills come contrary to the Lord's design for our life. 
Okay, it gets made its own issue by the culture and by the church oftentimes as those who struggle with homosexuality and gender issues, that, that's them over there. And until they get that figured out, they're not welcome in here while the rest of us struggle with our own issues, right? We struggle with lust and pornography and, and overeating and overindulging and other addictions and on and on we go with anger and bitter and gossip and we just, you know, we chew each other up with our own acceptable, more natural sins, right? But then we look at those who are struggling out there as freaks and, and you know, others, And the conversation moves on and says, well, well, you know, do you not believe that they're born this way? Or, and many of you may have seen this clip, I think it was, I don't know, it was back in like 2008, I think it was Ann Curry asking Pastor Rick Warren on the Today Show about his view of homosexuality. And she said this, she said, if science came out and proved that it was genetically predisposed, that you're born same-sex attracted, born homosexual, would you change your stance? And he said, absolutely not. First of all, I don't think that's going to happen. He said, but, but, but absolutely not. She said, why is that? He said, because I'm genetically predisposed. This is, this is his quote. It freaked everybody out. He said, I'm genetically predisposed to want to have sex with every beautiful woman I see. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do for me or the world. See what he's saying there? We all have desires within us that are contrary to God's design. And we have to submit those desires to God's design in order to find flourishing and healing. So, I want to end this way by saying that us as Christians, there's an article that unpacks this more in your, in your app references, one by Sam Albury, who's a great resource in general. But um, he says this that, that we as Christians, the Christian faith, the gospel in general, has a unique response to this issue of transgenderism in two ways. First of all, it is unique in our understanding of the issue. Right, that we should have the, one of the, the best understandings of what people that don't feel at home, that are experiencing gender dysphoria, where, where they, they don't feel like their, their identity and their, their makeup matches the body that they're in, we should be able to give an explanation to that better than anybody else in the world. Why? Because we understand, Romans 8 says, that all of creation was subjected to futility whenever Genesis 3 happened and sin came into the world. Right? That God designed things good, male and female. It was good for the world and flourishing. We're to be fruitful and multiply. That was the way things were supposed to be. But Genesis 3 happens and everything gets fractured. And it says the creation is subjected to futility and things start to go wrong. Sickness starts to happen. Death comes in. And confusion, struggling, wrestling. And so, like... Even Paul talking about in Romans 7, this inner uh, wrestle with sin, right? You know this passage in Romans 7, you can look it up later if not. But Paul talks about like, I, I, I'm wrestling against this body of mine because what I want to do, what I know is right, what I know the Lord has designed me to do, I end up not doing it. Anybody else relate? What I want to do, what I know I should do, I can't do it. I end up failing time and time again. And that which I hate, Paul says, man, I end up indulging in that all the time. Anybody relate to that? What Paul is saying is, listen, the reason we have a struggle, like all of us kind of have a disconnected relationship with our body in one way or another, don't we? Whether that's overeating, hating how we look, and not feeling the desires we have, lust, and, and maybe same-sex attraction. All the, like, the issue is not that someone struggles with same-sex attraction. That doesn't make them different than the rest of us. The issue is, 
is whenever they choose to act on it. That's the sin there. But the same is true as someone who struggles with lust and, like Rick Warren said, has a desire to you know, have sex with every beautiful woman they see. The issue is like acting on that is whenever we get into the sin realm. And so someone can legitimately struggle. And we need to make space for this in our church, right? In our world, in our brains, we need to make space for this. That, there are, that people can ha- have same-sex attraction and be legitimately attracted to the, sa- the, the, the same sex, right? And live a faithful life following Jesus. Now, I didn't say that they can act on that and be in a relationship and live that out, did I? No, but that desire doesn't disqualify them from following Jesus. Just like my desire against lust and over, all of those things. Like, the, the issue is when we act on that. So we all have to die to self. We all have to die to sin in order to experience God's design in our life, right? That's the big idea. And the same is true for folks struggling with gender issues. Okay, is that, is that getting kind of clear? What Sam Albury says is that we as Christians, should have a unique understanding of how somebody could feel like they're not at home in their own body. Because it's sin. Sin has created this disconnect from what we were made to be, from how we're living and what we feel. Again, back to Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to man, right? It seems right, feels right, feels what's, like what's true to me, but it's going to end in death. So what we have to do is acknowledge that our way is not right, whoever we are. Okay? Whether our sins and our struggles fit more comfortably in the worldview that we have or not, all of us are sinners separated from rebelling against God and his design. And we all have to acknowledge that my way is leading to hell. And I have to submit that, surrender that, and walk with Jesus. And that means, uh, we just said it, everybody that got baptized, have you made him Lord? Does that mean whatever he says to do, wherever he says to go, you'll do it? That's what this is talking about. He's Lord. He gets to, to define what's right and what's wrong. And it's for our good. He's not, he's not like the little boy in the illustration just looking around to see who's having fun and trying to stop it. No, no, no. He's trying to give us life. He's trying to lead us to life. And, and this, so he says, Sam Robert says, we should have a unique understanding and empathy and compassion upon those that are struggling with gender issues and sexuality issues. The church should be a safe place for them. Why? Because we're all struggling. We all need Jesus. Right, so we have to make space for that in our theology, that the issue is not, they have same-sex attraction, like, okay, like, but the call for them is not to get over that and come in. No, the call is to surrender to Jesus as Lord. And to know that if that's their true desire, that, A, Jesus might change it, and there's plenty of stories about that, right? There's plenty of stories about people being redeemed, and, and God gives them a different desire. But there's just as many stories of people surrendering to Jesus and saying, I, Jesus is my Lord, and and. I'm not going to live this way because he says it's wrong. And they live that out and, and they say, I still am attracted to men or attracted to But I'm not going to act on that because I'm following Jesus. Just as holy, just as discipled as we are, if that's true of their life. And we need to have space for that. So, A, we have a unique understanding of these issues. And then, B, we have a unique hope and response. Because the issue is... As we know, the reason we don't feel at home in our body, whether that's in gender dysphoria or just in weight struggles or identity struggles or how we look, image, all of those things, whatever that is, the reason we don't feel at home, and the reason, whether that's disease and, and physical ailment, like we all have felt that disconnect with our bodies, right? And the reason is we've been subjected to sin, right? That this world is subjected to futility, right? 
But the hope, the answer, is not in fixing our sexuality or fixing these things. The hope is, is not in within our own bodies, but it's in Jesus. There's a, there's, there's a researcher, um, very interesting story, a guy named Paul McHugh, who was um, way smarter than all of us combined and lots of degrees and those things. But he was the, the chief of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University and was around back in the um, 60s or 70s when they first started. Johns Hopkins was one of the first, if not the first, to, to do gender reassignment surgeries. And we know Johns Hopkins, like, that carries a weight. Like, even if you don't know exactly, like, you go, oh, yeah, they're prestigious medical world, right? Um, and so they were one of the first. Well, several years into that, there was research conducted that those who went through gender reassignment surgery actually experienced little to no social and emotional relief from their struggles. Not that they were necessarily dissatisfied or, or re- some regretted it, but that's not really the point. The point was, he said, we interviewed lots and lots of people that went through this gender reassignment surgery, and what we found is that suicide rates didn't go down, they actually went up. Depression, struggle, things like that, they actually went up. So he's quoted saying, he says, um, that the people, the, the duty of all doctors who propose a treatment is to know the nature of the problem that they propose to treat. And the issue of transgender people is that the vast majority coming for surgery now don't have a biological reason, but a psychosocial reason that they're longing for this. So, so he convinced Johns Hopkins to stop doing gender reassignment surgery for like 26 years because of that research. And several other universities and clinics joined them and stated their research in Sweden did all, like Sweden's very pro this. And same thing, there, it shows no actual relief to their emotional struggle and their depression and suicide rates if they got the reassignment surgery. Now, Johns Hopkins has recently started doing it again, not because he changed his mind, but just because they said, we're, we're, we want to keep up with the culture, we want to do these things. But it's interesting to note that this research from a guy who's not a pastor, right? medically speaking, examined these things and said, the issue is not, like the, it, the way to hope and healing and, and you know, happiness is not by helping you follow your heart's desires and become what you think you are inside. Because the issue is not, the, the, the hope and the solution is not within us. is within somebody else. And the reason that Christians should have the greatest hope and understanding and the greatest solution and hope for these issues is that we know that the solution for the subjected creation that we all feel and the tension we all feel with our bodies is not within ourselves, but it is within Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, talks about like that the ultimate dysphoria, the ultimate feeling what we shouldn't be feeling, and, and it was not mine, was experienced by Jesus on the cross, Second, this is how we're going to end. Second Corinthians 5, 19 says, That is, at Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, knowing we were broken, disconnected from what we were made to be, and there needed to be a remedy. And that remedy is not within ourselves. It's not fulfilling our destiny. It is within the creator himself. So Jesus comes, and that, that Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And therefore... We, as ambassadors, or we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the implore of Christianity. Come and let God's design lead you to life. And here's how it works. Not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, not by getting better, doing better. No, no. 
for our sake, verse 21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But the way to healing for our world, our broken world, whether that be issues of gender and sexuality or whatever, is not the solution is not within us, it's within Jesus, who experienced the ultimate dysphoria when he took our sins and gave us his righteousness. As he stands there bearing the weight of sin on that cross, none of that was his to bear. But he took it there so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be in the experience healing and find life in him. That's the message of the gospel. Hope for our world is found in Jesus. His design was good. It's broken because of sin, but the answer is Jesus, his work on the cross. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful for your word that you don't leave us guessing, you don't leave us wondering on our own what's good and right, but instead you give us instruction and you give us hope and redemption. I ask that you would help that to fall where it should this morning, cause us to repent of our own issues, maybe looking at, at these issues and these people struggling with it with a condemning um, heart, writing them off. Lord, help us to identify rather with that struggle. Help us to have compassion. But Lord, help us most of all to lean into you as the way to redemption for both us and them, whoever them is. Lord, whoever our neighbor is, whoever's struggling with life around us, we know that we're all broken and flawed people who need a Savior. Thank you for being that Savior, Jesus, and come and do your work during this time of response. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.